HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble. This fall, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sound in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Damon Bolte hey. sends his regards. He's at a, a whiskey festival and we, we wish him the best of luck. It sounds like a hard job, but someone's got to do it. Listen. Uh, he's, uh, he's put in his dues and he deserves all the rewards he gets. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's been, a, it's been a weird week for booze news. Like just my newsfeed has had a number of weird things coming down the pipeline. Like you sent me that thing about Portugal. Do you want to, do you want to yeah. go into that a little bit? I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but I saw, you know, it, it popped up on my news as well. Uh, um, two, 200 plus liter tanks of wine burst in portugal creating you know fantastic videos of the street uh, i guess at the winery just a river a river of red wine flowing through portugal um which you know it certainly encourages one to think about you know visiting or moving to portugal it does it does <laughs> and like the the part of my brain that is used to like doing pnl sheets and like monitoring wastage was freaking out but every other cell in my body was so excited to see that teeming just purple river of red wine running down the street i was just like oh my god is this is this heaven is this what this looks like uh, right i mean and it certainly you know makes you think of you know, it, it, the first thing i thought of honestly was uh you know saint patrick's in chicago when they dye the river green uh, you know, it's it's just it looks very strange. I mean, no. so they tell us. I don't know. You and I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell it that they died. Exactly. Chicago, Both of us being red, green, colorblind. <laughs> but it still looks weird. It doesn't look right. That's for sure. I know, yeah. Well, it's like that's the thing is like I feel like I don't get the fun of seeing be like, whoa, it's green. I just like cognitively know it's green. And then right. I get all of the environmental angst that comes along with that, which is really just the best of both worlds. Right. Um, but in, in other booze news, this was a fun one that I think Damon sent to us. Uh, a man got a DUI on horseback. And this is my favorite part of this. If I were to ask you what state 
this occurred in. Obviously, you would say Florida, which would be a good guess, but you would be wrong about that. Your second guess would probably be Texas. Yeah. But we were looking this up before the show because we couldn't remember. We're like, it's one of those states where like weird shit happens. It was in California. That was the kind of the weirdest part of this to me is that like a guy, like a state with legalized weed, but you can't get drunk on the back of a horse. Go figure. Right. I thought that was the whole sort of point, you know, to saddle up literally on a sentient being that could, you know, get you safely to where you're going instead of piling yourself behind the wheel of a car. Uh, yeah. And this guy got, got, uh, I don't know, I, I would say harassed by the cops. That, that's what he got. <laughs> uh, had to, had to be dismounted, got, uh, arrested. The horse had to be, you know, uh, handled and taken home or somewhere. The horse uh, was also arrested Yeah, <laughs> as, oh, as a co-conspirator, an unnamed yeah, exactly. co-conspirator. Right. Oh, poor, poor clip clop. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know. I think we try and find some interesting or goofy pieces of news to kick off the show sometimes. And, and these are certainly both of those, um, you know, but I think that that one is almost infuriating, right? Like, I, I, I feel like this is a, an instance where the person was likely trying to do the right thing. And I, I can't even imagine one single human being, except for apparently the cop who pulled him over thinking otherwise yeah i mean i i don't know i'm of two minds about it like on the one hand uh, i could see how someone being drunk on horseback would put themselves in a lot of danger but and this is where i'm going to sound a little little libertarian here i'm just like that's kind of the risk that you take like if you get drunk on a horse and you fall off the horse i mean like that's kind of on you and like you i've i can't remember the last time i read in the news about like a seven horse pile up on the highway that like right. claimed multiple lives like that just doesn't i don't i don't see the risk to anyone except potentially this person i also want to know how the cop like was he was the horse swerving all over the road? Like, was the did the did the horse fail to signal you know, the turn? How does the cop know from the, a the distance? Story, yeah, the story that Damon sent us didn't give us a whole ton of details. I'm curious if maybe maybe that's the issue. Maybe the horse wasn't, as you said, on the road at all. You know, where where was he riding? Maybe that's what what got him. Got him in trouble. The story also doesn't specify whether or not the horse was drunk, which to me, like, that's an entirely different kettle of fish. Like, if the horse is intoxicated, then that's irresponsible. I think that's that's definitely a, a D-U-H. I don't know. D-U-H. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're drifting, too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're drifting further and further away from today's topic. Uh, why don't you tell <laughs> us who's in the virtual studio with us so we can get this this show on the road? Well, in honor of the fact that it's not a million degrees anymore on the East Coast and we're getting uh, what I've heard referred to as pumpkin spice weather coming in. Uh, I know. I know. I'm not. Look, I'm just the messenger on that one. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying that's what I've that's what the kids are calling it these days. But I'm just happy that it's jean jacket season again. Like that's what I'm going to refer to it as. But it's a little chill in the air. You can feel the leaves starting to change. And in honor of spooky season being upon us, we have Kelsey Ramage and Aaron Hayes from Black Lagoon. Welcome, you two. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, both of you in from California, so a little bit early for you. Glad you're uh, up and about and, and happy, happy to have you on the show. Um, you know, uh, I think we touched just a little bit. If we swapped those stories, Greg, we probably had a better segue there. Um, you know, so the sustainability issue is something that, that both of you focus on a lot. And all that wine dumping down the street certainly isn't a sustainable practice. Uh, we could have could have had a better segue. We always, you know, try and get a good segue in. Um, <laughs> Don't knock the horse thing, Souther. I thought the horse <laughs> thing was pretty good. 
Yeah, listen. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I want to talk. Obviously, we're going to talk about Black Lagoon. Um, well, actually, let's just jump right into it. Like, talk to us about what Black Lagoon is, how it got started, what's its origin. Yeah, I can start with kind of telling you, giving you an overview of what we do, and then we can we can talk about how it all got started. Um, so we are uh, a spooky um, Halloween cocktail bar experience. Um, we try to create very immersive spaces that kind of transport people into a realm of darkness. You know, think dungeons, there's life-size coffins in most of our venues, um, lots of scary decor, skeletons, zombies, you name it. Um, definitely shying away from the more kid-friendly jack-o'-lantern type of vibe and, uh, leaning more in towards the horror and the macabre and, you know, goth. Um, and then doing cocktails that are really elevated, but fit the theme. So think, you know, bright orange cocktails and swampy green cocktails and, uh, but all with really great, um, kind of a mashup of some tropical leaning flavors that Kelsey and I both have, I think, built a bit of a reputation on in our careers, as well as leaning into those, um, fall flavors. So you'll see some, you know, masqueraded pumpkin spice cocktails. We don't call, we don't, we don't call them pumpkin spice, but first person to figure out how we incorporate that into a cocktail wins a prize. <laughs> Got it. I, you know, I always sort of point out that all of these flavors that we here in the United States anyway, consider to be fall winter, you know, cinnamon, nutmeg, mace, star anise, even ginger, all those spices come from places where winter doesn't visit. Yeah. Right. Those are all like Caribbean <laughs> island spices. It's so interesting. I think it's got to be because of like the warming effect that they have on on the body. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, coming again from the tropical background, flavors like falernum. Um, oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I think we consider those kind of warming because we use them in, in baking. Yeah. Right. Whereas the mm -hmm. tropical aisles use those in, in savory dishes. Right. You get you get all those flavors in your jerk chicken or what have you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, interesting. Just as the as the history nerd, one one thing that I've always loved is when like those spices came to European countries, particularly England, because you know we all know that English cuisine can leave a couple things to be desired. <laughs> um, you'll find all of these insane recipes for things like peacock that were made with just an ungodly amount of spices. Like if you look at these recipes from two hundred years ago, like they look inedible just because it's like. Uh, an, an, an absolutely irresponsible amount of like cinnamon and nutmeg <laughs> and clove going into what would be a savory dish. But I do wonder if that's kind of that translated to like the sort of winter feast days, the spice thing kind of mutated into being a little bit of a wintry thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think it also, I mean, it's not a food show. We're going to do it. We're going to do another show. It's going to be about food, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. Um, but I think it also comes, you know, being a culinary background myself, those are all dried spices. They can withstand being held onto and used in, in the winter times, right? Uh, you, you don't have any fresh herbs. You have to rely on dried spices. So uh, that, that's where it translates to me. Yeah. But anyway, so let's, let's back up a step, right? So that's what Black Lagoon is. But where did it begin? And how did this, how has it grown into what, into what it's become, you know? Um, because it's, it's now global, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is a huge yeah. deal. Um, Aaron and I have been friends for a very long time. Um, 
and we both kind of had a similar aesthetic, I guess, um, just in the way that we decorate our homes <laughs> and the way that we dress. Um, uh, I guess I lean more emo. She leans a little bit more goth. But um, we decided in back in 2019, I believe it was, to throw a party at a bar called The Dungeon in New Orleans um, during Tales of the Cocktail. Um, and it was like a venue that doesn't normally do Tales of the Cocktail sort of events. So we just wanted to, you know, create a party for um, for the people that were there that just wanted to enjoy something different than than what was on the the Tales kind of lineup. Um, and it went really well. Like it was very well received. It was packed. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it and organizing it. So, you know, after um, the pandemic, uh, kind of shut everything down, you know, Aaron and I were having a whiskey and being like, what should we do after this? And, um, you know, as soon as things lightened up, we were supposed to do it in 2020, but obviously that couldn't happen. So 2021, um, I was able to secure a venue in Vancouver, in Toronto rather, sorry. Um, uh, and Aaron and I just, uh, put together a Halloween pop-up. We decorated the interior, put together playlists, um, created cocktails together, uh, remotely, which was fun. <laughs> um, and it was just like, it was the, the crowd was awesome. They were like, you know, everybody from cocktail enthusiasts to like horror enthusiasts to just, you know, people that wanted to dress up and have a good time after like, you know, a couple of years of lockdown. And, and so it, it was awesome. It was so much fun. I think we both sat down with a drink after shift one night and we were like, no, this is rad. This is where both of us want to hang out. Yeah. We, we created a space where we would want to go and, and drink and, and hang out. Like seeing a room full of people, you know, dressed up in crazy costumes and, and like dancing to Rammstein and having the best time of their life was is something that Kelsey and I haven't experienced in a long time. You know, a lot of the really great goth metal bars are gone. Um, and honestly, you know, some of the ones that still exist are rather sad because unfortunately it's the same folks that have been sitting in the same bar seats for 40 years, drinking the same Bud Light. Um, and not much has evolved in those kind of spaces. And the ones that um, have faded away, it's, it's been a really hard loss for the community that felt welcome in those spaces um, and enjoyed those spaces. So I think kind of creating something, even though it's only for a month at a time, was, was special. And um, it definitely gave us a light bulb to build it even further. I'd like to dive a little further into that, if that's okay. I want to hear a little bit more about the the goth metal bar scene. Like I I've I can name like maybe one or two in New York, but I have to admit, as someone who's a fan of exactly what you just described, I was unaware that there are enough of these to call it a scene. Even a few years ago, can you kind of tell me a little bit about you know where some of these bars were and what the 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 lightning of it that you were trying to capture in a bottle was? Yeah, I, I mean, I remember in high school sneaking into Neo in downtown Chicago. And also I went to college right down the street from it. So that was an incredible goth bar, um, you know, where there was a lot of dancing with the imaginary ball of light in your hands, <laughs> that kind of vibe. Um, and then, you know, I spent a lot of years working for a company that was based out of Portland and they have an incredible scene of, you know, more rock and roll type bars. You know, they do stripper uh, a couple of the bars where, you know, there's people singing karaoke while, while folks are dancing on stage and it's awesome. And they also have a bar called the coffin, which, uh, Kelsey and I both 
<laughs> I think the first Portland cocktail week that the two of us were at together, everyone left us there because <laughs> we were we were yeah. having the time of our lives and like dancing and screaming along to all the songs and like felt at home with the all the the weirdos and and folks that were enjoying that. Um, and you know, a lot of outside of some of the cities that really have um, a strong counterculture still. Um, a lot of those bars are gone. Neo in Chicago is gone. Um, and again, a lot of the rock and roll and, and goth and metal bars, like they've just become folks where, or places where the folks that have been drinking there for years just go and it, it's not the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's one in, was one in Toronto. There was the cathedral and then on the top, it was big bop. It was like this huge, massive venue. And I think it's now home to like a CB2 or like, you know, some home store. I, can, I don't know. It's really sad. Uh, that's too bad. And also, like, I do wonder, because I remember, I mean, I've read a lot about the satanic panic in the 80s and 90s, because that was just nuts. But even when I was growing up in like the 90s and 2000s, I remember there was this fear that like, don't listen to this music. It's going to turn you into a perverted Satanist. And you go to these bars and these are like the nicest, sweetest <laughs> nerds. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. The, well I was going to say the perverted Satanists are all at the Renaissance Fair or something. That's where... <laughs> That's what it all is. <laughs> but like, yeah, these metal bars are just such like amazing welcoming spaces for people who like maybe don't see a lot of, you know, what they want to be in their lives in the way that things are air quotes, air quotes supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there were so many of us that, you know, in high school and college and our formative years were into things that weren't necessarily mainstream and cool and probably, you know, got teased for it. Um, you know, whatever that's everybody gets teased in high school, you know, but I think that finding those welcoming spaces, you know, as you get older and finding places where you're accepted for being the weirdo that you are, um, it was a really magical experience. And so trying to recreate that, um, was a very cool thing for Kelsey and I to undertake. Yeah. I think that there's a clear, um, Venn diagram of the sort of goth metal emo personality that overlaps with the sort of cocktail nerd or nerd in general personality, right? Like you can nerd out about your, your coffee or your, 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 I don't know, your cars or your watches or what have you. But I think there's definitely an overlap there. You know, I had to sadly close my bar Cafe de l'Enfer, the cafe from hell um, recently, but uh, you know, we were definitely generating a, a pretty interesting and loyal following and you know we've promised them that we're looking for a new location we had to close for reasons beyond our control but um you know and i think that you're tapping into that with this month-long celebration each year would you consider um making black lagoon a permanent uh, installment somewhere would you would you create a, a home for it to, to be because you know cafe l'enfer certainly did much better during october and november <laughs> each year and even christmas we did sort of black christmas kind of thing up there um but uh but but it did well all year long would you consider making this a permanent installment i think we would do something like it aaron and i have a lot of like different ideas floating around and now that i'm based in la and you know we're in the same city we can kind of like start digging into what those ideas are. And it's just a matter of, you know, which one's first. Um, I had a very different, you know, bright colored uh, disco bar back in Toronto. That's like kind of like a complete 180 from this whole concept. Cause it's like, you know, 
purple and pink and rainbows and shit everywhere, which is, you know, so we just really want to like dive into what those concepts are and, and, and make something happen. But yes, that's definitely in the cards, I think for both of us, just considering what we love doing. Yeah. We've, we've had conversations and, you know, Black Lagoon, I think is, has become so synonymous with Halloween and, and it's a very particular aesthetic. Um, and, we definitely want to do something that is inclusive and rock and roll focused and dark and celebrates the macabre. Um, but it, I think Black Lagoon is going to live in October. We also do have a Black Christmas pop up called Krampus Cove um, that we did in LA last year and is expanding this year to Portland and New York as well. Um, so I, I, you know, there, we're exploring a lot of ideas, and that's kind of the great thing about pop ups um, is you can kind of throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see, see what sticks, like what people like, what people, um, are coming back for. Um, and, and, you know, sure. It's, it's live action research. Exactly. And exactly. And, you know, LA was super successful last year for, for both, L, uh, Black Lagoon and Krampus Cove. So I think that there is a desire for something like that here. You know, when I was talking about those old rock and roll bars that are a little bit sad, I was mostly referring to the ones on the Sunset Strip here in L.A. Um, <laughs> you know, it, not anymore, thank goodness. But, you know, you walk into the rainbow, which I love. And it, the vibe is still there. The, the aesthetic is still there. But, you know, you have Ron Jeremy walking around in his dirty sweatpants playing harmonica. And it's just like sad. I think most women would say they'd want him to go away immediately. Um, and now, and, and, I'm, I'm in that camp as yeah, well. Yeah, and now he is away for a very long time, thank goodness. But um, right. yeah, you know, it's just, like I said, it's like a lot of the same people that have been going to these spots for 40 or 50 years in some cases, and they're drinking the same thing, and they're sitting in their same seat, and they're smoking their same cigarettes, and it's just... It, there's nothing welcoming about the younger generations that are into this kind of um, music vibe. Um, and I would love for us to, to make something that's a little bit more welcoming for everybody. Well, talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I'd love to hear, you know, I went to your sort of uh, little sneak peek party that you had in, in New York at pretty Ricky's and loved it. I mean, it was everything that you were just describing. I kind of walked in. I was like, ah, yes, this is, this is my vibe. Like, spooky, self-consciously over the top, good drinks, good playlist. Like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I, any place where I can sip a decently made Mai Tai variant and listen to Rob Zombie is a good <laughs> bar in my book. Um, but talk to me a little bit about some of the, your, your process, I guess, for creating a space that was a little bit more welcoming, that had all those flourishes and kind of how you put together all the different pieces that you've incorporated into Black Lagoon. Yeah, um, I think to start it off, you know, um, Kelsey and I both have spent a lot of time, you know, making really elevated cocktails. Kelsey, even more than me with her background and, you know, she makes all sorts of ferments and has worked with ingredients that I've never even heard of or touched. Um, so, you know, making cocktails that were a little bit more accessible, um, knowing that these are not necessarily cocktails that we're making for us and for other trade nerds in cocktail nerds, but definitely things that can appeal to them and flavors that are elevated, but that read in a way where people are like, oh, I know what that's going to taste like. I understand that. Um, so that was really our first, our first step. Um, and then, you know, just making it really clear in all of our messaging too, that this is a place for everybody. Um, and I think there was nothing better than that first year in Toronto seeing, you know, a table of like, 
20 year old TikTokers that were dressed as kittens <laughs> and had no idea what was going on with the music, but were just enjoying themselves and enjoying the cocktails next to a table of goth kids our age, but so not kids necessarily, but that were very happy to have something back in Toronto since their local spot had closed and we're having the best time. So really just, you know, it goes back to hospitality too, right? We're like, we're treating everybody like they're welcome. Um, we make it as accessible as possible. You do have to like, you know, loud music <laughs> and you have to be okay with <laughs> maybe a jump scare here and there. Um, but <laughs> but it's, uh, we really, really try to create welcoming spaces and also work with venues that are already very um, welcoming and inclusive spaces in, in their cities. Yeah. And I think to to just kind of expand on that as well, like we hired some performers in the first year in Toronto and a lot of our venues um, all over the U.S. will be hiring performers this year, um, L.A. included, um, and making sure that, you know, they that our messaging was clear both on our website and our social media, just being like this, this is a safe space for folks, um, but also like having people that like you know, are doing an amazing performance, drag performers, burlesque performers. We love, you know, supporting those two communities um, particularly, and they always come and like throw an amazing show. So like that kind of feeds into it as well. Yeah. I think again, that if that Venn diagram had a third circle, dragon, dragon burlesque would be uh, definitely a part of it. We, we had that at, at uh, CDL as well. How does a bar get involved with, with being a host for Black Lagoon do you cold call people or do they call you? Like, what's the process and, and what um, what's involved there? How, I guess what I'm driving at is I'm, we're all aware, all of our listeners too, I'm sure, of, of Miracle being out there uh, every Christmas season. Um, so how do how do bars like kind of latch into Black Lagoon? Is there, what's the trade? The first, uh, the first two years here that we've been expanded beyond Toronto, we've hand-selected our partners. Um, so, you know, very recognizable bars that already have incredible followings, um, incredible, you know, regular clientele that are excited about everything they're doing. They all have obviously the capability to execute cocktails at a high level. Um, and they're very excited to buy into the theme and, and really go over the top with it. Um, you know, this year being in 19 cities uh, in North America and beyond, you know, this year we're in uh, Paris, Guadalajara, three, the three cities in Canada uh, that we were in that last year as well. Um, you know, we're getting to a point where we're not going to be able to take the time to hand select. So we are going to open a portal on the website next year where people can apply. Um, and, you know, we're just looking again for those spaces that are welcoming to everybody that can execute cocktails in a really great way and that are excited to spook out their space. Spook out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this sounds incredible, and I, I'm super excited for you guys. And, and I know that one of the locations is here in New York this year, Pretty Ricky's, as as you just said. There, I didn't realize there was a, a preview, so I missed that. But Pretty Ricky's is not far from where I am in New York all the time, so I'll definitely be checking that out. Um, and uh, do most of them, I, I glanced at the calendar, and then you know we had to shut off our devices to get on here. But um, do most of them run the entire? How did, how how long? What's the run? So they all need to be operating for a minimum of two weeks. So by at least the 17th to the 31st, but a lot of them have chosen to operate right from the first um, Seattle, even from the 26th of September. Um, so they can kind of choose their starting date. Um, 
And yeah, a lot of them are starting at the beginning of the month. Yeah, it seems like a lot of effort to put in to only do uh, you know yeah. a short term. So two weeks count is is a good minimum, I think. Um, and uh, and and I'm very excited to, to go and check it out. Maybe Greg and I'll go. Greg, I'll take you over to Duff's here in, in Brooklyn, which is a metal bar that's old. That and was dying. the one I said I was aware of some bars in New York. That was exactly <laughs> the one that I was thinking of. I'd love yeah. that spot. It's a, it is a little and it is a little um, uh, welcoming. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I wasn't going to put it that bluntly, but yes, Surly? I was going to. Yes, well, just kind of like it's got some uh, it's got some tread on its tires, you know. Like yeah, you can tell, like there's definitely a feel and a vibe to that bar but it's um a little gritty. It's like a yeah it's like an old like an old bulldog in bar form you know it's <laughs> like a little a little cantankerous missing a few teeth but like you know you still kind of love it despite its gruff exterior uh yeah i mean i've been i've been going to duff since it was down by the water it moved you know um so uh we'll go there and then we'll go to pretty ricky's and have a, a black lagoon evening Sweet. um but uh, in the meantime, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Come right back and listen to us keep talking with Aaron Hayes and Kelsey Ramage about Black Lagoon. And then I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Trash Collective as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble! From September 29th through October 1st, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival this fall in the home of cheese, Madison, Wisconsin. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, chocolate, and coffee, yes, coffee, from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheesemaking knowledge with a curds on, deep dive amongst the cream of the crop, and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on this pastured paradise. Run, don't walk to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Kelsey Ramage and Aaron Hayes of Black Lagoon. And we've heard a lot of really awesome, spooky stuff in the first half of the show. But I'd like to get a little bit into some of the other work that y'all are doing, specifically the project formerly known as Trash Tiki, now known as Trash Collective. Uh, what's going on with that? Tell me a little bit about the work you're doing there. Uh, yeah, we started uh, what was originally Trash Tiki back in uh, 2016, just kind of as a free bartender resource to for recipes, um, particularly that that reused kind of common um, bar ingredients. We saw this, you know, movement happening within food that was, you know, nose to tail or root to fruit, and just kind of making sure that from not only a financial standpoint but for a sustainability standpoint to to be reusing ingredients. And since then, we've sort of expanded that to start talking about, you know, water waste and plastic waste and kind of a more all-encompassing approach to sustainability as opposed to just looking at recipes particularly. And, and so but talk about how the sort of transformation went from trash to heat, which, which also sort of toured around, right? That was mm -hmm. kind of a uh, yep. I don't know, maybe the seedling to the to what's now the Black Lagoon popping up all over the place. Trash Tiki moved around a bit as well. And now it's become Trash Collective, which I always want to read as Trash Collector. Um, <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> I think it's good. It, 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 like it, it, it jars the brain a little, so then you have to pay attention, right? I think that's like, you know, when people hang their sign upside down, you know, it's like it's supposed to make you remember it better. Um, <laughs> if you think about it every single time. Um 
but and 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 the fact that that's also led you to a position with Pernod Ricard is this an ongoing position? You were global sustainability ambassador for Pernod Ricard, um, which which again I think speaks volumes of our industry to know that a big money brand like that is paying attention and creating space and and creating positions so that they can look deeper into sustainability in general. Yeah, um, we so we operated uh, Trash Collective, you know, for the first two years as as a free resource. So we really didn't make any money off of it. Um, and th- we kind of hit a limit to what our what our reach would be if we continued on the same sort of path. It was like we could, and we wanted to kind of reduce the amount that we were traveling because that has a huge environmental in- impact as well. And we kind of felt like, well, you know, we should be hopping on a plane every three days. Um, sure, slightly so, hypocritical, I guess. It, completely, and it, it felt <laughs> that way. <laughs> um, uh, so we wanted to, you know, partner with somebody that was willing to help us um, increase our reach and and amplify our voice um, and reach more bartenders. So they came up with. Uh, they also work with um, the sustainability initiatives with uh, the United Nations, so that we had like a much bigger reach than just you know bartenders, which was our current audience. So now we're kind of we're hitting a lot of you know um, people who make big decisions for larger companies. Um, we're doing a sustainability summit in New York next week on the 25th and 26th. It's going to hit, you know, over 150 people between bartenders and media and um, people that are there for the sustainability summit in New York. So it's it's like it made a lot of sense for us to partner with Pernod Ricard. It just helped us get the message out in a lot bigger way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's incredible. And again, um, just knowing like how did how did the position come about? How did the partnership, I guess, with Pernod Ricard come about? Like, where did you, you know, I think our listeners are always looking for ways to work in the industry um, that are maybe not, you know, simply being behind a bar or owning a bar. Mm -hmm. So how does one sort of, I feel like you must have created the position yourself, but how do you then sell that position to the, to the boss so they pay you? Um, (laughs) It actually came about really like tongue in cheek. We, um, we did this presentation for, uh, in Berlin, um, BCB, Bar Convent Berlin, um, and it was only brand people that were there. It was kind of like before everything kicked off. And we basically said, um, you know, you're doing it wrong. Um, we said your packaging is too much. You're not paying attention to your water waste. You're not like communicating what you're doing at distilleries. Your distillery footprint's too high. We just kind of like cut everybody in the audience down. Um, and we kind of walked away from it being like, well, oh, we might be canceled, but we're going to, we're going to find out if we get any work after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of people paid attention. We, um, we got to reach out and we had been working with Pernod Ricard just to give you a little backstory. Uh, a lot of our pop-ups, we, we poured their products. We'd been to the absolute distillery, which does a lot, a lot in sustainability. They've invested a lot, a lot of money into, um, innovation there. Um, so we, we did pour, you know, we, we always kind of try and pour, uh, brands that have a, a more sustainable or, you know, just different way of, of making spirits, um, whether that's big budget or small budget. Um, so we got approached after that talk and they were like, okay, so help us. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it wrong. How do we do it better? Hmm. Great. Right. Time to, time to put your money where your mouth is, I guess. Yeah. yeah and they did. And I'm always just sort of skeptical whenever I see like big brand, like whenever I see an ad for like a cruise line or like 
Exxon Mobil talking about how environmentally friendly they are and all their initiatives, I kind of have this little thing in the back of my mind, like, yeah, sure you are. You know, um, what was it like to to work with this brand and then kind of you know be be brought in as someone who very publicly called them out and then say, okay, these are some some real ways that you can actually make change and not just say you're making change. Yeah, um, we had like a three day kind of. I don't know, focus group, is that the word for it? Where we sat down with like um, the sustainable, there's like a sustainability um, people within Glo- uh, within Pernod Ricard that, that kind of sat us all down. And then we took, you know, five or six main ideas, you know, cut out plastics from your POS. Like you need, you need to be producing pens and a bunch of other s- stuff that people end up throwing away or don't use. Um, let's, let's, streamline that and and make sure that that's that was kind of the easiest thing and then there were some ideas on packaging and not having like external boxes and you know the little plastic rip off the top of a lot of the bottles it was like how do we um what are the costs behind you know changing that to something that's uh biodegradable or even like water soluble um there was a lot of a lot of ideas and it's really interesting from our perspective because we look at it from a very small, you know, we're looking at it from a bartender perspective where we're sitting behind a bar, you know, making drinks every day. Um, it was very interesting to see how, what these kind of changes need to go through to, you know, for a multi-million dollar company that's, you know, distributed all over the world. What does that look like? And what are the logistics behind it? What are the costs? And so it was, it was, it was a learning experience, I think on both sides. That's amazing. Yeah, I think those really tiny changes on such a grand scale can make a huge difference. I'm sure we've all heard the, the example of uh, some airline deciding to put three olives in their salad instead of five, and it saved them, you know, $190 million or some nonsense like that. Um, so, you know, it's like that small change here makes a big change there. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to know that you got to be a part of making some of those changes. Can you, can you, I don't know you sort of described a couple, but can you, can you describe uh, something that you initiated that they actually took hold of and changed um, that, that you think was pretty impactful? Um, I think it was the biggest thing was the, the plastic pieces of, of POS. Um, so they've really moved away from like just producing things to produce them. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's like, you know, bar mats, they're, I, I'm pretty sure absolute has stopped, you know, producing little plastic bar mats. They've, you know, if they're producing something, there's intention behind it. There's a use. Mm-hmm. There's they're producing stuff that bars actually need, as opposed to being like, "Here you go. Here's a bunch of junk that you're gonna toss in your storage unit and/or straight to the bin." <laughs> I always love. I always loved it when a rep would come and just be like, "Here's like, you know, five years worth of bar mats for you." I'm like, "Wow, thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you for giving me the chore of figuring out where I'm gonna put this when I break this bar down. It's really helpful. Thanks." Right, bar mats and the big plastic uh, thing that holds your, you know, bar naps and straws and picks and why, yeah, all that stuff. That's just uh, the wrong, wrong audience. I think. I think they were, you know, shooting at the wrong audience with that stuff when they come into bars like ours. I think. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, for cocktail well, bars specifically, listen, for sure. Yeah, right. Like uh, nobody uses that stuff. We want we want clean, black, you know, invisible looking stuff. We don't want all those poppy things that are driving people towards a product that they probably already know about. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's very fascinating stuff for me. And, uh, you know, I, my, I'm trying to turn my company. We had a, a few months ago now uh, um, people from uh, a big company that's a B Corp. 
I'm trying to turn my company into a B Corp. I don't know if you know what that is, but like you have to go through all this rigmarole to prove that you're doing all the things as well as you can do them. There's like this, uh, but we're going to, we're trying to get there by, by next year. So this, this sort of topic is fascinating to me to hear about like what little changes can happen to make a big lasting impact in the future. So really glad to know you're out there doing that stuff and, and humble beginnings, right? Starting with trash Tiki and moving into trash collective and, and, and then working with, you know, multi, multi billion dollar brands all over the world. That's pretty incredible. Way to go. Congratulations. We'll pat on the back for you. Um, Aaron, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, our mutual friend, uh, Aaron Polsky. Um, and you are, were you the, you weren't the very first because his was the first, right? But you were like number two in the line of Livewire, right? Yeah. Is that, am I, am I, I wrong about that? I think it was, so Aaron's two and Joey Bernardo's uh, Honeydew Collins oh, right. Joey, were dropped Joey, all at once. Right. And then, yeah, Rocket Queen was the second wave. But Rocket Queen has gotten the most attention of any RTD anywhere ever. I, have, I right? mean thank you I'd love to hear that I don't know if it's a hundred percent true but you know my mom my mom sends me articles Bravo. about it out of consumer reports you know <laughs> as moms do um it's been it's been I mean incredible and fascinating to watch the growth of you know I've built small brands uh, as a brand ambassador and um, you know working in trade engagement and advocacy um so to see it really really from the ground up has been incredible I'm so proud of Aaron. Um, and I'm so proud of, yeah, of everybody that, you know, has put their creative energy into creating a delicious RTD um, when there are so many not delicious RTDs out there, um, not naming names. Uh, but yeah, I, it, we were we were blown away um, at that first round of competitions. Um, what, I was super excited to receive, you know, from San Francisco World Spirits Competition, um, in the rum RTD category, um, the, their favorite, and then shocked to receive best in show across all 700 plus RTDs that were entered. Um, it's been incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, all of us as bartenders like to think that we know what people want <laughs> and what people <laughs> and what people are going to, to enjoy. And, you know, it, rum was a gamble. You know, it's, it, it, I feel like every article for the last 10 years that asked bartenders what the next big thing is, they're all saying rum and cherry. And I don't think it's really happened yet for either of those. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the flavor profile mixed with the, the ingenuity of the packaging that Aaron, you know, decided to go forward with, um, I think that he has such a stellar product across all of the different SKUs. Um, and I'm just Same. really, really excited that Rocket Queen has been so well received. Well, describe, describe the Rocket Queen for, for the listener. Yeah, so I, my, like, real first love in spirits, the kind of the eyes wide light bulb moment was the first time I tasted good rum. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to make a rum drink. Um, the Jet Pilot is one of my all-time favorite cocktails. The flavor combination of grapefruit and cinnamon is, I think, probably one of the best in, in any kind of cocktail or, I mean, even dessert like that. If that's on the menu, I'm eating it. Um, so I wanted to do a Jet Pilot variation, and I wanted to bring in something to kind of round out a lot of the sharp flavors of the citrus and the cinnamon. Um, so we brought pandan into the mix. Um, gives it a really bright, um, round nuttiness, a little almost like a vanilla um, dash of absinthe, which uh, some of my friends call the the haze razzle dazzle. I, I can't make drinks without a, <laughs> a sherry or absinthe, which you'll see on the Black Lagoon menu as well. I know. Um, 
but you know, I use absinthe as like salt and pepper. Um, so you mm-hmm. don't necessarily taste the absinthe, but it really elevates everything else. So, and then, you know, it's refreshing. It's not too sweet. Um, it's complex, but crushable. Um, and I think the packaging is really dope. I love our artist, Corinne Halbert. She's from Chicago. She does like really wild, pretty satanic, <laughs> pretty macabre uh, comic books and zines and things like that. And so working with her was a dream. And yeah, I, I'm just, it's something that I want to drink and I can drink more than one of, which I think is the goal with our TVs, right? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds great because that translates like kind of it sounds like a lot of the DNA that's in that also kind of wound up in the mix that became the 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 vat of primordial ooze that became Black Lagoon. And I, I really want to ask you to, you know, talk a little bit about the menu that you're putting forward this year for for um for this particular pop up, because I was really impressed i think i went to one last year too and the menu seems to have almost doubled in size since 2022 when i went to my first black lagoon so talk to me a little bit about how you built it and then how you scaled it yeah i mean we we come to aaron and i do like an r&d session uh we did for this one uh together in la i came down and we just like had a couple ideas on paper and yeah, we work really well together. We, I think we banged out that menu in like a day and then came in, you know, viciously hung over the next day, but we're able to tweak some things and figure <laughs> the rest out. <laughs> it's a hard um, job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. We, we yeah. always like, we have, I think we have a similar and very, a very similar and a very different way of approaching drinks. You know, we, um, we come at ideas in in a very organized way and then you know we'll take turns just like banging out the ideas and then the one that is the best wins or or like you know or one person will have a little tweak on the other person's cocktail and then you know make it a little bit better and um that's it's like the easy part that's like the fun bit but it's all fun decorating's fun dressing up's fun yeah the drinks (laughs) are fun too yeah (laughs) it doesn't feel like work yeah we're lucky we made a business out of what we like to do um but yeah, and I think something that's funny, and I was talking to to a younger bartender earlier this week about um, the approach to creating cocktails. And we do something that I've never done in my career. You know, I've always built cocktails based around either the spirit and, you know, wanting to, to make that spirit shine or complement or contrast the flavors in the spirit or a flavor profile that we're trying to achieve. And we start with the colors that we want to have in our drinks. Um, and then, you know, we also have a list of, of flavors that we really like, and we'd like to incorporate a lot of tropical, a lot of fall, um, you know, but then we also want to make sure we have an orange drink, a purple drink, a green drink. Um, and we, we work together to make delicious drinks look spooky and, um, and also look really appetizing. It has the, you know, the fajita effect or the mojito effect, I guess is what they call it in drinks. Um, where, you know, it, something goes out and it's like this bright purple and people are like, well, what's that? I want it. Um, and so, you know, trying to create a menu based around very intriguing color, um, was, was really fun. I definitely saw more than one person at the bar go, yeah, I'll have whatever the hell that was that you just made. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. I mean, um, we, we also, you know, produce a lot of our own custom signature glassware. Um, we produce our own ceramic mugs with Tiki Farm with uh, Candy Wild has been our designer um, for the last 
two years and she's incredible. She's one of their only female designers um, that they have on their team. And she does a lot of spooky stuff on her own, but also like crazy pinup stuff. And this year, our mug is incredible. Um, it's a it's our zombie mermaid and I can't wait for everybody to see it. But I think- Yeah, I saw it on the website. Yeah, Gorgeous. that's going to be uh, a thing that is the mojito effect. People are like, I want that. And they're going to all be- forced to hand over their IDs so they don't steal it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Just have them hand over money and let yeah, them keep it. Yeah, oh yeah, we, we're, we're yeah. selling them. Yeah. We, we encourage all the venues to sell the glassware. All of them bought extra glassware because it was, a, a, they flew last year. Um, people were really excited yeah. to purchase the the merch and the glassware and things. Um, but, you know, a lot of them end up walking out in purses and and pants, unfortunately. And and the and the and the problem is like the, I just just so you're aware, the DMV will give you another one of those if you lose it's, it. Like, it's true. I, I could see, I could very much see someone that thinks a lot like me looking at this equation and being like, this seems like an even trade. <laughs> <laughs> but I personally wouldn't so but I also now know that you have a website where I can just buy yes. it like a civilized human yes. being. Yes. Yeah. Now so you're making your own merch, which is incredible, uh, or you're you're having it made at least, um, and you're supplying that to the to the venues and they're using it to sell. So that's a stream of income for you. Um is there any sort of franchising fee? Um and then the, my next question, you know, I want to talk about the business of it. My next question would be um do you also uh, work with brands? So like, is it, are brands, uh, you know, uh, getting on the menu because you're working with them? How, how does all that work on the, on the, on the hidden backside? Of it yeah. All? So we, um, there is a licensing fee for the venues. Um, and I think, you know, from our side of things, it's a very fair price for everything that they get. You know, there's other um, events and holiday pop-ups and things like that, that charge a, a pretty hefty fee. And then, you know, everything else is plus plus, which, good on them. I, I love to see people make money. Um, yeah. But ours, you know, this year included a starter pack of all of our glassware. Uh, it includes a starter pack of decor. It includes all of our playlists, all of our recipes, all of our design assets. So they've got all of our, you know, social media templates and things like that. So they can create their own flyers for whatever programming they're doing. Um, you know, it, and also PR. We work with an incredible PR agency um, and they go out of their way to make sure that each of our venues in each of our cities gets really a lot of attention from local press. Um, so it's, I think it's a very, very good deal. And I think that they would all tell you the same thing. Um, and then, yeah, we do, we work with brands. Um, we're pretty selective about the brands that we, we like to work with. Um, you know, I would say most of our brands have our repeat They've come back many years now, you know, some of them since year one when we were just local in Toronto. Um, Lot 40 has been with us the whole way. Um, Lustau has been with us the whole way. Um, Ritual has been our non-alcoholic partner. We love those folks uh, for the last two years. There's, you know, we work with Fords and Diplomatico from Brown Foreman. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of really great brands, really quality um, and brands that are, you know, people that we love too. Um, and they come in at a national level and then we facilitate introductions to all of the venues so that, you know, they can build those relationships with venues that they may not already have them with, um, you know, and, and hopefully continue to, to work with those, those places and people. I, mean, I love in, that. 
Yeah, incredible. You're you're really out there crushing it. Um, I see Greg is giving me the old uh, loopy brain thing, which means speed up. Um, oh, no, that, no, no, that was me. That was me cheering for Lestal. Oh. I was <laughs> so like, yeah, Lestal. You can't see I'm doing this not from my usual um, yeah, you're closet. Not, you're... So I'm very, I'm very spooky and ba- and black backlit um, for the occasion, of course. Um, but yeah, I just really wanted to say that I loved. You know, I. I I love the aesthetic of what you're doing. I love the idea that it exists just for me as a consumer, but it's also been super cool to like hear about the creative process. Like I loved the idea of building a drink around, not necessarily, okay, I really want to work with this particular rum or this particular sherry from my good friends at Lestal. Uh, How do I make that really shine? The idea of coming at it from a different angle. I think in any creative pursuit it's always really important to kind of reorient yourself like that every now and again and say okay this is a different endpoint that i want to get to how can i still preserve a lot of the stuff that i think is cool to get from point a to point b and i think that's rad and if if our guests wanted to or if our listeners wanted to hear a little bit about what you're doing and what you're up to and see if black lagoon is coming to a city near them where can they get in touch with you and keep up with you um, you can follow us on our social media, uh, Black Lagoon, at Black Lagoon Pop-Up. Um, we also have all of our venues and dates and links and contacts and, you know, reservation links also on, on, up on the website at blacklagoonpopup.com. That's awesome. And I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes uh, on our social media as well. So people can easily just click in and, and check it out. Um, and man, uh, honestly, I can't wait. Uh, Greg and I are going to come together to to the one here in New York. Now, where will you be? You can't be at all of them all, all, all the time. So are you going to station yourself at any one for any length of time? Yeah. Gonna- uh, you know, sort of. Yeah, we man. we we were very very busy on the road for the last few months doing previews in each of the cities uh, where we either had a new venue or were an entirely new city. Um, so we're happy to be kind of grounded here in Los Angeles um, for most of the month of October. Um, you can catch Kelsey behind the bar a couple nights, probably myself as well um, in LA, and then I will be you know probably the one checking your tickets at the door and saying hello as you walk in on most nights in, <laughs> in, here in LA. We'd love to get out to some of the the pop-ups. Um, it's just going to be a matter of scheduling that. Um, I, I know that I, I'm dying to see what all of the venues are going to do with um, the greater decoration, you know, that's not just done in one afternoon for the preview. So we'll see. Yeah, right on. Ah, I'm so excited and I can't wait to check it out. Thank and, you. And best of luck to both. And and happy, happy spooky season. Happy goth Christmas. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the pop-up of my nightmares. Yes, that's, that's what <laughs> we like, like to oh, call it. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's what we like to call it. And also, I'm just going to throw out, definitely check out Krampus Cove too. If you think Black Lagoon is unhinged, just wait. Um, it is so bizarre and people lost their minds. You can follow along with that at Krampus Cove pop-up on Instagram as well. Hell yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm following it right now. <laughs> yeah. But but for now, I think that's going to do it for us this week here on the Speakeasy. Uh, thank you so much to both of you for coming on the show and talking to us about Black Lagoon. And if you want to hear more great shows just like this one, go to heritageradionetwork.org. You can also click on the beating heart at the top of the homepage to donate. But for now, that'll be it for us. So cheers, everyone. Cheers, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. 
keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. It's gonna get you-